Hello, and welcome to Unabashed Book Snobbery, the podcast where we gush about George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire and whine about the toxic sludge that somehow passes for its adaptation. This is where Book Snob is a compliment. My name is Kylie, and here with me is Julia. Hi! We both write for our new website, fandomfollowing.com, and then because we're also super cool, we blog about A Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones uh, quite a bit on our <laughs> Tumblrs. I am G.O.T. Gifts and Musings, and she's the cultural vacuum. Yes, and we started this podcast just because we have a crazy amount to say about A Song of Ice and Fire, and we really get excited talking about it, and everyone around us wishes we would stop. So, <laughs> No, no, no. It's cle- We clearly started this podcast because we are narcissists, and we want to infect the world with our lame fandom nicknames. Yeah, that's that's us. That's definitely us. We have such a high opinion of ourselves, and we absolutely don't need an hour of the other convincing us that what we just wrote wasn't pure shit and we should post it. Especially when our fanfic is concerned. <laughs> but oh in every case. <laughs> you like Seriously, you think we're exaggerating, but before we write anything, it mm-hmm. takes us convincing the other for yeah a solid hour i'd say <laughs> and and when it's when it's me writing fiction it's about a solid hour every other paragraph or so which explains why it takes me a month to get a chapter out yeah i just have no excuse <laughs> <laughs> anyway kylie and i uh we've been going through and recording all of our retrospectives that we've been writing uh but we wanted to take a little bit of a break from that mostly because we haven't finished writing deadpan yet uh, almost yeah, well, we're like in the editing phase because, yeah. We also just want a break. Like, <laughs> So today we're going to be doing what we call an inbox hour, which uh, will probably be closer to an inbox two hour, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I mean, between our two tumblers, we get just an inordinate amount of questions about Game of Thrones and A Song of Fice and Fire. And, uh, you know, we don't have a very high rate of answering them, I don't no. think, but we really do seriously value every bit of feedback we get, every ask, every every comment. Um, it's just that, like, we either don't have the time to answer or we forget about it or we get distracted by bumblebees or, I don't know. Like, deadpan or fan fiction or, or jobs. Jobs. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's what today's episode is. We are going to answer our inboxes. So our first ask is a completely self-serving ask for us to answer. <laughs> it's just really shameless here because we could have just told you this information. Hi, just wondering, when are you planning on doing the next podcast? Is this going to be a weekly or monthly thing? Um, we uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, Julia. Uh-huh. We are not the best planners in the world. Well, we like... Um this sounds kind of thing, but like, you know, we have other stuff to do sometimes like, like, you know, we really enjoy this, but we really don't want to make any promises. Yeah. The, the loose plan is like fan wankers, that podcast mm-hmm. we're hoping to do bi-weekly. And then when game of Thrones is like in season, we're going to be doing a weekly podcast. Yeah. I'm Even if it's just like a, Oh my God, what did we just watch? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then for Julia and I doing the unabashed snobbery, like mm-hmm. it's really just when we have time to kind of, hang out and chat about these things yeah so you know we try to space out the posting as best we can but we're just yeah we're just enjoyable but it's not everything you know yeah we're definitely not going to be posting once a week like maybe we'll have two weeks in a row where we release a podcast but don't expect that to be a regular thing it's kind of like what i say about my fanfic chapters (laughs) we're very we're erratic at best yeah i mean like 
this is something we do in our spare time and we really do spend way, yeah, we really do spend way more time on it than we should. But like, you know, we both have full-time jobs and we have, it's you just, know, we, it, it, we just get yeah. excited to be like, let's just talk about this on the yeah. podcast. Cause let's just do Carol's landing. Yeah. But yeah, this is like for fun. And the second it doesn't, it's not fun anymore. We probably will stop doing it. And it just, it's kind of really, really cool that people are actually listening, but that's kind of a secondary thing. Yeah, we don't know why. <laughs> Such a hot mess. Such yeah. a hot mess. Okay, well, Joy, you pick, you pick the next Okay, should I, go, and, and, should I go for a softball or should I go for a long, involved discussion? Yeah, I mean, hmm. Let's let's do a softball to open up, but I I did want to quickly tell everyone we're treating our inbox as one for these because yeah. we're both really bad. To give you an idea, I have twenty five hundred unread <laughs> just in my Game of Thrones Tumblr, uh, so I'm doing my best to get through a good amount of these. And then Julia has a good amount too that she kind of ignores. Yeah. So. <laughs> that you usually... follow us for just a, a shittier experience. Thank you. Yeah, usually I just kind of, you know, I intend to answer them at some point, and then like two months later, I'm like, oh, I still haven't answered that one. But then like, there's a hundred others that I still haven't answered. So the worst is when it's like a really simple question off and on, and you're yeah. like, oh, I could easily tell this person this thing, and then it just sits. And yeah, then but then it feels awkward. it kind of like it kind of feels stupid to make a post that's just like an answer to a simple question as well. So yeah, yeah. Well, I just I'm just bad about responding to messages yeah. sometimes. Okay, so. Do you listen to the audiobooks that are read by Roy, Roy Dutrees, or are there any others that that you listen to? <laughs> I mean, there are others. Yeah, right. There's one that I think uh, something Lee he did uh, the official Feast for Crows because Roy, Roy Dutrees wasn't available, but then Roy Dutrees went back and he recorded Feast for Crows. So no, all five of them have him. Yeah, but so yeah. I listen to Roy Dutrees, and yeah, me too. I know Julia does because we make fun of him about the same thing. <laughs> yeah, like, neither of us can stand to listen to Stornish Chasters because... Ariane's sexy voice is just a no-no. No, no. But... And then Brian. Pataire. Uh, Pataire. And then he says, he does Jamie, he goes like, Jamie. Like, what? And then Danny becomes a chain smoker. And... Yeah. I, I mean, like, the, it's kind of I'm an just a little girl foolish in the way of war. It's like, um, the audiobooks are an incredible achievement, but like, yeah. there's just so much data that there has to be things that he screws up. And when he screws yeah. up, it's fucking hilarious. And when he screws up, it's obvious. He does a really good job. Yeah. You'll, you'll enjoy a good amount of it. Julia and I have very specific attachments to Ariane, so like. Yeah, like we, there's a, there's a version of those chapters in our heads that we're very attached to, and we don't like anything that kind of. And let's be honest, we have them memorized. You know, if you have, it's like you have a favorite recording of a symphony. And then you go see it live. You're like, no, they're doing it wrong because that's not what I'm used to hearing. But like, it's not wrong in any way. Oh, that's it's exactly just... how I am with, with musicals and like yeah. original like, Broadway tracks. Why is the condensa different? Oh my God. So, yeah. yeah. We recommend Warby Trace if you want to get the audiobooks. They're definitely. And I, it. I heartily recommend the audiobooks yeah. because it's just, it's a good way to make yourself listen to like the things you'll gloss yeah. over, you know? Because this is a series that really, really rewards rereading. And if you can't sit down and reread it, then, you know, re-listening to it is, is a good second option if you really want to get as it's better f- into it as we are. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's frankly even better for me because, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm auditory, so it really goes well. Yeah. But like the thing is that like he makes certain decisions, like certain really creative decisions about the meaning of the text that like are not obvious just from reading it. And if you listen to it enough times, you kind of, you can't help but kind of be went over to his interpretation, which is not necessarily the most appropriate uh, uh, or certainly not the only interpretation possible. So there's that to consider. But Yeah. 
but it's it, I'll 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 stand for it. I would say. Yeah. Okay. The uh, the question I'm going to pick is a little bit of a softball because I know that you and I have talked about this a lot. Mm-hmm. It's if you could ask George R. R. Martin three questions, what would you want to know? Well, we both know what number one is, and everyone in the world is going to be really okay. First of all, we're going to confine this to answers to questions that we think he might actually answer. So yeah. we're not going to ask him if R plus L equals J is actually a thing or anything like that. Right, and we're not going to ask him like, does Orion survive the end game? <laughs> yeah. And also, there's something to be said for not learning. Like, I don't know if I would want to know all that. Yeah, like, 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 other than the one question that we both have is just like, what the fuck is going on with the Ironwood inheritance? Because it's confusing to us. That is the one question yeah. we would ask him immediately. Yeah. Uh, we're pretty sure the Dornish antitrust <laughs> law that we invented is right. Yeah. But I, I still think it's a distinct possibility that it was just a typo and Cletus is older than uh, Innes. Yeah. I think that's that's equally as likely, really. The whole thing is Innes, the daughter, mm-hmm. you know, should be in line to inherit, but she's not listed as the heir of Yeah, but she's uh, listed, She's always listed first when they list the children, implying that she's the eldest. But Cletus is mentioned – he's not ever mentioned in the text as the heir, just uh, in the appendices. And also in the app, which is canonical. So. And a lot of people think that this means that Ironwood actually practices, um, like male primogeniture rather than equal primogeniture, but. Mm, but there are other reasons to think that's not the case. Yeah, like that would be everything in Dorne if yeah. that was the case. Because they're the, they're the number two house. Yeah, that would be the first thing Arianne said to Aris. Yeah. Aris, yeah. Um, so then we need to pick two more questions though. Yeah, but like, just like uh, as I interrupted you, you were saying like, I'm kind of like at this, like, I can't really think of anything that I want to know that he would actually answer because I'm like along for the ride, you know, like, I'm okay I with would want to know Mama Martel's name for sure. Yeah. Like, just give us confirmation because Julia and I have fic to write. Yeah. <laughs> he would love that. Um, <laughs> we won't mention the fic. <laughs> but just, just like, like the, most of the questions that I think, like, I think will be answered at some point and I'm more than willing to wait and find out. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. I might. I made harass him and be like, <laughs> I'm not wrong about the family drama in Dorne, right? Yeah. Like, no, I think I might ask him. I'm sorry. All these questions about Dorne. We're such losers. I, I might ask him like, um, we like it. about the Queenmaker plot. Like, did you intend for the Queenmaker plot to be a really bad idea or not? <laughs> you know what I would ask too? Cause like, it's accidentally a good idea if he didn't intend that, but I, I think yeah. she is Dorne. No. Uh, I hate everything. Because, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm thinking another question to ask was, like, you know, why is it that you felt you wanted to give Eris Oakhart a point of view? Like, yeah. I might ask him a writing process kind of question, but I don't think I would ask him anything like, what's going to happen? Or No. I is don't, Jane like, the dying girl on the gray horse again? Like, I, like, I want to know, but I'm more than willing to wait to find out. The journey the journey is more important yeah. than the destination, usually. So we're losers, and we only want to know about Dorne, apparently. <laughs> We're sorry. Everybody has something that they're really attached to in the story, and that's what we are, and that's okay. Your own is full of hot shit, right, George? <sighs> is it my turn? Yeah, it is. All right. Um, do you think D&D do justice to status as character? Yeah, totally. <laughs> they totally get that character, man. <laughs> um, in the Outside the e- Episode interview, uh, mm-hmm. when he burned Shireen, and it was the infamous interview i would say because it's the interview where they confirmed it was a book spoiler yeah like they were like, which was George just told us this happened yeah, which was not like that was not kosher basically like that was just not professional behavior it was disrespectful mm-hmm. is what i would say but in that interview they say like the first time we meet stannis on their show he's burning people alive on beaches no he wasn't no, he, he was burning statues 
But that's what they say. They say yeah. he was burning people and that he is so ambitious that this is the ultimate, he does the worst thing a man can do. Mm-hmm. So they conceive of Stannis as being driven by pure ambition. Which, no. That's the exact opposite of Stannis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stannis has to do his duty. Like, that's, that's the thing. Like, he's... He's Javert. Yeah. He is the law and the law is not mocked. Yeah. He's just, um, we don't particularly like Stannis, but he, uh, he's very kind of. Isn't that the, supposed to be the thing with him though? That he's the most, you know, just, yeah, I, honorable, I, I, I but think, the least likable? I think he's kind of supposed to be. Like, that was the point of Renly. Yeah. He's supposed to be like the, uh, the kind of like, what a perfectly just man is because like, you know, you're supposed to aspire to be perfectly just, but here's a perfectly just man, and he's a complete butthead. So, I mean, he has he has good qualities, definitely. Like, he really values loyalty, and, you know, what's, like, someone like Davos, who's who's not high-born, but he really, he's, um, he's always been very loyal to Stannis, and Stannis recognizes that, and he appreciates it, and he rewards him for it. So, you know, yes. he, it's not like... He has a good, he doesn't have good points, but just, like, nobody likes him because he just has no charisma. He has no, like, he's completely tone deaf to everything. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, uh, you know, it's, it's all about, is he willing to compromise or is he too stuck on what's due to him and what's owed to him? And, you know, the show actually had a line about this. He doesn't inspire loyalty. Yeah. And as much as I don't like what the show did with his character or Renly's, I think that's a good line. But, like, but that's not exactly true because there are people who gave up their lands in the South and followed him to the wall just because they were loyal to him. I guess. And, you know, there are people who were captured after the Battle of Blackwater and had a chance to save their own lives. Yeah. But they, they still, they stuck with Stannis and said, like, fuck you, Joffrey, Stannis is the king. Maybe it's just so that he wouldn't inspire he loyalty in me. inspire loyalty in somebody. You know? <laughs> just not me. <laughs> just not us, yeah. I mean, he's, like, we don't really get Stannis the Manus. We don't understand Stannis fans. <laughs> yeah. I think you guys are really cute, but we just don't understand you. They're probably saying the exact same thing about our Ariane standing, which, fair enough. To be honest, no one understands that, except for, like, the five of us that did the reread. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sure enough. So, no, uh, D&D did not do justice to Stannis. I don't know what book they were reading in there. No, and and honestly, the way that they exited him from the narrative Mm -hmm. was borderline rude. Borderline? Like, you don't get to fuck over a character you don't like. Yeah. Like that. You, it was ridiculous what they did. Stannis is no good, very bad day. At least they give him an undignified off-screen death, right guys? <laughs> um, I want to do a book one next, cause I don't want to talk about the show. Alright. <laughs> stupid. What are your thoughts on Alice Karstark from a feminist perspective? I think she's a very good minor character. Question mark. Um. Are those, I mean. Clauses necessarily to, related. Okay, um. No, but look, just to like, preface our perspective is always feminist yeah because we are we kind of can't help that yeah but um i think she's a very good minor character i really like her Mm -hmm. from a feminist perspective well she did agree to marry some random dude who would then like basically replace her house with his own and rule in her name but she was also kind of backed into a corner yeah it was that and you know i think the idea was that she'd at least have some well he's probably not like, he probably needs a lot of help, you know? Exactly. Like, it seemed like, yeah. it seemed like she, he was going to be listening to her and he was being a mensch, like, about it. He was mm. being gentle with 
ceremonial stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the thing about her and the thing about any of these minor characters is that, like, they exist to serve the, the point of view they're in. Yeah. In a lot of ways. And, you know, they'll obviously go in and out of a couple different point of views sometimes. But with her, you know, the whole Karstark thing, I loved that in yeah. John's story. I loved that ambiguity of what he was doing, how, how he was clearly struggling with, you know, staying out of it, but he was also had these very personal reasons for wanting to help her. And, you know, I love her for her plot function, as unsexy as that is. Yeah. But, um, I know she's part of the trifecta of the awesome Northern Girls. And, you know. Yes. She's in the club. So the, yeah. the trifecta is, uh, Wyla Manderley, Leanna, Leanna Mormont, and, uh, Alice Karstark. Yeah. 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 I love them all. I like I like that part where she chucked bread at John. That was cute. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like people ship him and Val like crazy. Yeah. I ship like if you're gonna ship anyone, ship those two. Uh, ship the chick who was flirting with the dude at her own wedding to another man. Yeah, <laughs> pretty badass, Alice Karstark. Yeah, she's spunky and she's you know. Yeah, well, she she um she's a no anachronistic, so you know you can't you definitely can't call her a feminist in any way. But no. Um, but that's okay. Yeah, like she's she kind of um she kind of took action to maintain her sexual agency, which is a very feminist thing to do. Yeah, she didn't burn exactly. a mattress, but you know she ran away on a horse. So I love how we're like really trying to <laughs> inject the feminist perspective in here. Like she's fine. No, she's like, fine. She's, we're fans. Yeah. No, oh. she's more than fine. I really like her. I do. Yeah. I actually kind of do Loki ship her and John. <laughs> If I'm gonna be honest. Well, I mean, that's out the window now, but. Okay, so are we allowed to talk about, uh, the show some more? We are, yeah, I just needed a, a palate cleanser. Okay, uh, this might be interesting. Okay. Would you say there is any aspect where the show improves something from the books? For me, it's Shay. I hated her in the books. And, and that because I ended up buying it into Tyrion's vision of her and forgetting how biased his POV was. But that's really the only thing I can think I can remember, except for Asha, who is barely more than a plot device in the books. Is she any better in the show, Asha? She's played by Tonks. I don't know. <laughs> um, but the, like, I, I don't want to be like rude to the Anon, and, and Martin has said this too that Shay is is a better character yeah. in the show. But the whole point of Shay is that Tyrion was projecting, and the whole point is about how his narration is, like, unreliable. Like, I don't know, maybe Martin regrets not, like, fleshing her out some more, like, giving her her own character, like, apart from uh, Tyrion's projections, and I can see that. Yeah, I mean, I do, her relationship with Sansa would have been nice if she hadn't randomly thrown Sansa under the bus. Yeah. And she did it because she was pissed at Tyrion. Like, that's, you know, they kind of ruined her. Um, anything they did better in the show, uh... You know, there were the, those couple of added scenes that we yeah. enjoyed. Yeah. I don't know if it's I mean, there's a couple better. of added scenes that we enjoyed, even though they kind of distracted oh. from the point, like that Robert Searcy scene, which never would have happened in the show, in the books, like, just no. But I kind of liked it. I liked, I, I liked the actors and their chemistry, I think. I'll tell you one thing that I actually think they did improve upon. What's that? And I think a lot of this is just because... We don't have the internal monologues, so they had to kind of change this. The way they presented the whole uh, Sansa saying, like, lying about what happened with Nymeria 
and on the King's Road, that, that whole thing, they did it in a much less blame Sansa kind of way. They had Ned outright say to Arya, she was dragged before the queen and the king and the prince and was told to call him a liar. Like, what do mm-hmm. you think she should have done? And in the books, there was none of that. Yeah. It actually seemed like, what the fuck, Sansa? Why didn't you, why didn't you p- blow up this political alliance for us? <laughs> Um, and then they also didn't have her go to Cersei, which, again, without her point of view, like, go to Cersei to tell about Ned taking them out of Winterfell. Without her point of view, without understanding where she was coming from, I think that would have played really poorly. And it does open a lot of space for Sansa hate. So, Well, there's plenty of Sansa hate on the show, too. Yeah, oh, totally. Um, but I think it would have been, you know, amplified. And, you know, I, I don't like their scripting of Sansa in general, especially in season one, like they, they never got her character, but I do really think they did this a little bit better. Yeah. Um, there's a little, like, uh, I really like the conversation that Ned and John have right before they separate on the King's Road. Because <laughs> you can project everything. Huh? Yeah. Well, I, I, I think like the books could have used a scene like that, like John and Ned saying goodbye. I wonder if Martin just thought it would have been too informative or something, but Maybe. yeah, I agree. No, just like that scene was so well acted by Sean Bean. Too. Yeah, beautiful, flawless acting. I mean, Kit Harrington was in his mouth breathing stage back then, but like <laughs> Sean Sean Bean nailed it. Yeah, even the guy they got to play Benjamin was great too. Forgot his name. The the casting in this show is ninety five percent exceptional. They have the sand Joseph snakes. Joseph Molly is Benjamin. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty good, and and Kit Harrington's gotten better. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, we're never too chuffed about the appearances of the characters. Like, unless it's very important. Like, if they casted somebody who wasn't a little person as Tyrion, that would be one thing. But, like, the fact that Rob doesn't have red hair, like, we're not too particularly concerned about that. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, the show got some stuff right. I can't say there were any improvements. Definitely no improvements in this season. (laughs) Definitely not. I mean, like, I know people are kind of desperately trying to find them, but... Um, yeah, I mean, if if you're looking for someone to tell you that hard home was really great and needed, then you've come to the wrong place. Yeah, I like people like you'll know, say that like you know they liked the pacing better or whatever, but like I think the pacing in season five was horrible. But it's awful. I know if you really don't like uh, Feast for Crows and a Dance with Dragons for whatever reason, then well, maybe you think that it's an improvement. But I really don't see how. And like if you're not concerned at all about themes or characterization, then I guess you can say that some things were an improvement because they were more exciting or whatever. But Well, like, I, I prefer the person Carol to the person Cersei. Yeah. But that's not an improvement. It's just like they wrote a more sympathetic character. Yeah, but the point isn't to have sympathetic characters. The point is... No, it's to have, like, <laughs> themes and shit. Yeah. <laughs> So, no. Like if I no, want sympathetic really characters, I'll watch Dora the Explorer. She's super sympathetic. We do really like their Viserys. We thought it was really good. Yes. Oh, yes. I wouldn't call it an improvement, but that was... It just brought a character yeah. to life, and it, it really showed the benefit of a TV show adaptation mm-hmm. when Martin structures close POVs. It showed the benefit of being able to kind of see what's going on with the non-POV characters. Yeah. Um, that one scene with him in the bathtub was our, like... Yeah, that's which is sex position, but yeah, well, because like, it's one of those scenes where like you think everything should be against it, but like for some reason it all worked in that one scene. It wasn't like voyeuristic the way it was filmed. No. It was actually like enticing and yeah, yeah, because like if if they had filmed that scene in the fifth season, it would have looked entirely different. Oh yeah, and it they wouldn't have been they wouldn't have been having an actual conversation. <laughs> they would have just been like. We've just been Viserys talking and being like, I don't like Danny 
<laughs> it just would have been bad. And then she would have been like, well, you need a bad pussy. So. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be really self-serving with the ask I'm reading next. All right. Do you have a headcanon as to how orphans fit into Dorn in terms of where they stand in the social structure? I feel like they occupy some kind of shadowy land depending on what type of house that ve- depending on the type of the house that views them. I imagine for the more Royanar influenced houses, we're gonna love this one, they <laughs> occupy a high standing and are respected for their knowledge and healing skills, whereas for others like the Wills, they're probably just barely above small folk. I do love how Ariana and Garen are such pals. Okay, so we're gonna hone in on one aspect of this, I think. Mm-hmm. I um, want to start. I know where you're going. This whole idea that there are houses that are more Roiner influenced. Thank you. And ones that are like more Andal. Um, fuck you, Darren the First, on your stupid book. Uh, <laughs> and we're not blaming you, the the reader, by the way. No, no, no. This, this is this is one of those things where it's like inverse prejudice that is so widespread. It's really yeah. hard to to get at. And it's only because we think about Dorn and inordinate amount. Yeah, and you kind of like, you know, once once you think about this for a few, like, you know, days straight, you kind of, because, like, think about it. You have this migration that happened a thousand years ago where you basically replaced a good deal of the upper class. It, it, think about, like, you know, the uh, the Norman invasion of England, which was a, a similar t- amount of time ago. Like, a lot of the, like, you know, the big... Uh, aristocratic families of England can still try to trace the roots back to that, but still, like, there's no, there's nobody in England who thinks, oh, I'm more Norman than somebody else. You know? That's there was just- this, this is reminding me, there was one poster on the forums who suggested, like, what if they offered to let all the orphans, like, what, what, to let all the Royanar go back? Yeah. <laughs> what? But, and like, the thing about the Dornish is that they have, like, they have a very Dornish identity. And there, there's this one throwaway line that uh, the big man, um, Archibald Ironwood, makes yeah. when they're in Marine. Chapter, yeah. Where he's talking, he's, he's just saying, like, he's just reminiscing about how uh, Aegon IV kind of had this really stupid idea to invade uh, Dorne with, like, these wooden <laughs> tanks. But he was just like, uh, you know, that, that, that king who tried to conquer us. And he's just like, that kind of yeah. casual statement that was just like, us, actually, actually, us, the Dornish. Dornish. Actually, Quentin's chapters are full of this. There's one time when someone asks, are you Westerosi? And they go, Dornish. Yeah, no, we're Dornish. Shut up. And there's another part where Quentin goes, like, I am Dorn. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't (laughs) work. He's so cute. (laughs) We love, we love Prince Mud. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just, just like, um, before we answer your actual question, Anon, I just. Which we will. Yeah, we don't. Our opinion, our very uh, deeply considered opinion, is that it's not very useful to, to kind of try to to uh, divide the Dornish into these, like, three ethnic groups that are supposed to exist. Because, like, at this point, especially among the aristocracy that spent the last thousand years marrying, intermarrying almost exclusively with each other, who have this very kind of uh, political identity that's very secure. Like, they've, they've gone through, like, all this shit with dragons and conquests and everything together. Like, you know, they're not... They're not Andal. They're not Roy neither. They're Dornish. And, and you know what? You never hear the Dornish talk about the salty and the stony and the sandy. Yeah. They do not say this shit. It is only the Westeros who say this because they are so othered in verse. And I think, I think the racism is really, like I said, it's insidious, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, it's obvious in some chapters when Eris is saying, like, Ariane eats spicy peppers and that's why she masturbates because they're just crazy down here. Yeah, and like but, Tyrion, when when we meet Oberyn in Tyrion's POV, you know, he's very learned. He's read all these books and you know, he's kind of, he's kind of very eager to kind of 
make anthropological statements about the Dornish and his POV. But yeah. it's, it's very obviously like a racist kind of yeah. way of dividing up the people. Like, and when, it's, it's, when Arian talks about the Iron Witch, she doesn't talk about the fact that they're ethnically distinct and that's why no. they're, they're disloyal. It's just like a political thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, that being said, mm-hmm. there is like a point to be made that not all of the houses are on the Greensblood and necessarily yeah. near orphans. Yep. So but the it, way you, the, the way the Illyrians are going to be viewing the orphans is going to be different than you know the way the Fowlers are. Yeah, and the orphans are kind of the exce- the the exception that proves the rule in all of this because like they are kind of consciously maintaining that Roinar tradition. Yes. So, and that kind of that it's kind of like you know the counterexample. So if they're so Roinar, so then all the like you know the quote unquote salty Dornishmen obviously are something else, right? Yeah, yeah. How they fit into the social structure, though, is fascinating. Because mm-hmm. there's actually this one, it's a little bit of a throwaway line. Uh, Doran is, uh, Doran, mm-hmm. sorry, is talking about the punishments that Arian's co-conspirators have faced. And Garen, like, you can't really do much with an orphan because, you know, he can't really send him to, like, go tend to Malario. That's improper. So he ends up, where he sends, he sends him to Tyrosh. Yeah, he sends him to Tyrosh, but he ends up taking coin from the orphans. Yeah. Uh, so that implies, you know, they're taxpayers, but they don't really have a house, and I don't know why he's, like, taking money from the orphans for Garen being an idiot, but... Yeah, well, I don't know. They they had some kind of shenanigans with the pole boat, right? So maybe a few of them were, were involved. <laughs> That's true. They were, they were all trying to help with the pole boat. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, they are small folk. I don't know. I, I don't know this comment about there being just above small folk. Anyone who's not nobility is small folk. Yeah, they are definitely small. Folk. But then, then you the have the merchant thing. class, which is kind of in this gray area, which is very much like pre, pre-modern Europe. When you have you near know, the late medieval Europe, you had the rise of the merchant class and nobody quite knew what to do with them. Which is maybe a little bit what's happening. They do yeah. ferry trade. Like that is their function. But the whole thing that the reason that Ariane and Garen are close is, is because she wasn't his mother nursing her. Yeah. Her, uh, his mother yeah. was her wet nurse. Yes. Because Malaria so, yeah. wasn't into ruining her boobs with breastfeeding, I guess. Super malaria. So, <laughs> sorry, guys. Um, so, so yeah, they 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 are small folk. It's mm-hmm. just they have jobs and stuff sometimes. Uh, yeah, they're not agricultural workers. I know. I know. I've, I often wonder about the economy of Dorn. <laughs> so, because they're obviously um, they're agriculture based around mostly, lemons. Well, yeah, on cash crops rather than food crops. So. Yeah, they they have to import heavily from the free cities. We'd imagine oh, yeah. we can keep going. Why don't you ask the next question? <laughs> Didn't we say that we we're going to have a Dornish headcanon chapter? Yeah, you you just got a sample. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, why do you think widows aren't mentioned very much in the Song of Ice and Fire? I wouldn't. I would think that despite many deaths related to childbirth, there are still a lot of old men marrying very young women. And wouldn't that mean there'd be a lot of widows just like Lady Dustin and Lady Hornwood? Uh, first of all, um, this whole thing about uh, a lot of old men marrying very young women. You want to take that first? <laughs> that it's not the most commonplace thing? Yeah. You mean? Yeah, I mean, like, it happens. We're not going to yeah, deny it doesn't you had, happen. You had Lysa and John Aaron. Of course. Uh, but, like, really old men marrying really young women really doesn't happen that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyrion and Sansa was viewed as, like, this is really pushing it, guys. Yeah. And he was, that like, was- 28-ish, right? He was 28 and she was 12. If your point is just that, like, you know, the guys are maybe a good 10 years older than the women, on average, like... Yeah. No, even that's not really... Like, like, Catelyn and Brandon, it's like, that's a normal 
how how the marriages go. It's it's usually if people are of an age, then yeah. these houses start looking at it. Like, I don't think it's as common a practice. We're not saying it, it doesn't happen, of course. Um, it's probably only in Dorne that the guy can be younger. <laughs> no, probably not. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, because like um, Cersei was going to marry a much younger man, right? Well, yeah. Tyrion was. Uh, yeah, Tywin was planning to marry her off to a younger man. Yeah, he was. Yeah. It just depends on how powerful your name is, I mm-hmm. think. But it, it's very, very, very overblown how much there are these old dudes marrying these young women, yeah. I think. And it, the it doesn't help that the marriages we've seen have been particularly horrifying and particularly exploitative. Yeah. But even, like, the age disparity, we only really have uh, Lysa and John Aaron and Sansa and Tyrion. Are there any others? Well, that's really? the major one. And you have, like, the Frey ones that are, like... like no, like nobody inverse is particularly impressed with Walder Frey's marriage uh, record. Ed- Edmure is a good deal older than um. Yeah, it's not clear because as um, uh, Cat is in her early thirties, so he has to be like in his mid to late twenties at most, and she's like fifteen. Oh yeah, that's a good point because he's well, quite younger than he quite he's quite a bit younger than her because he's younger than uh, Lysa too. Also, keep in mind, read the whole widow thing. A lot of women die in childbirth. Yeah, maybe so. I don't know if it's more common in Westeros than it is in our own world, but uh, usually it's it's about like one percent for any given delivery. It yeah. was the pre-modern uh, statistic for for uh, marital deaths, and if women are having like you know ten children, that's a ten percent chance of dying in childbirth. But at the same time, the guys are getting killed off in the war. Yeah. So I don't know. There's no there's no clean way to look at this. Um, yeah, but I think I think among the nobility, Martin has had. A- and it's definitely like uh, it's definitely more common among the nobility to marry early for ma- women to marry early than it is among the small folk. Oh yeah, very much so. I think I think he says that. Yeah. In a uh, in a yeah. and like in our Martin. in our old world in our own world rather um the like you know the common people were often really disgusted by the aristocracy's uh, tendency to marry quite early. Yeah, especially to marry the girls off as soon as they had their periods. Yeah, that was, was kind of gross. Again, like Sansa is that marriage is supposed to be like oh yeah I don't know. and it, it was like purely political first of all because they had to they had to shore up this whole winterfell thing fast because they knew that they're going to kill off rob soon right so yeah yeah this is why you have to stand dorn with us because <laughs> they don't Ariana's do shit 20... like this very often <laughs> ariana's 23 and running around <laughs> yeah running around with her mixed oh, gender group of friends silver silver was another one though yeah silva was married off to an old man but that was like punishment. I don't know. We don't know what's up with Simon. We, we yeah. want to talk about. Yeah, we're kind of like reserving judgment on that until we we'll, we probably will see her again because she's going to be in Storm's End. Yeah. So. Yeah, but that was like Arian was completely horrified by that, so that wasn't typical either. Yes, exactly. But um, and... yeah, but there there are, there are more widows running around than just Lady Justin and Lady Hornwood. There's uh, Lady Oakheart. Oh yeah. Uh, Lady Wainwood. Uh. S- was Smallwood? No. She, I think her husband's just away, or is she a widow? I don't remember. I don't. But, but there's quite I'm a few sure. of them. Cat for a good amount of time. Yeah, Cat, of course. <laughs> and Cersei. <laughs> yeah, poor Cersei. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. We'll think of more. I'm sure. Yeah. Like it's there's, we... there's quite a few of them. Your turn, my love. <laughs> um. Do-do-do. Oh, okay. In several of your recaps, you have reiterated that when making an adaptation, it is better to drop something than completely change it. Could you elaborate more on why you believe this to be the case and where this idea comes from? It doesn't seem self-evident to me. Surely it's possible to change things for the better if you respect the story you are adapting. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's... Okay, if you respect the story th- that you're adapting, you don't think you can change it for the better. That's kind of a catch-22 there. 
like, if you're respecting the story you're adapting, you can see that there are changes that you would need to make. But yeah. it wouldn't be about adapting. It would be like, this is what this medium necessitates. So the best I can think of is Lord of the Rings. I know it's not a perfect adaptation. But they didn't feel they could put Tom Bombadil in, right? Mm-hmm. They just didn't feel there was the time for that. So, so they, they cut it. <laughs> and they gave some of Tom Bombadil's lines to Treebeard. Yeah. And that's not changing Treebeard for the better. That's definitely not changing Tom Bombadil for the better. I don't think Peter Jackson thought it was changing it for the better. He's probably yeah. crying that he couldn't put Tom Bombadil in. He's such a nerd. He really is. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh, Peter. Well, anyway, uh, the idea uh, comes from, um, what's his face? David O. Uh, Shelsnick. Is yes. that how you pronounce it, Kylie? You know your Yiddish names. You did fine with it. Um, but um, he, yeah, he is the man who uh, adapted Gone with the Wind to film in what is generally considered to be one of the most successful adaptations ever. Well, hey, Julia, how many children does Scarlett O'Hare have? <laughs> Yeah, well, that's kind of you know, George R. R. Martin. Uh, ba- back way back in the second season, when things weren't nearly so bad, he said he's basically saying that these, like you know, a lot of the small changes don't matter because these are basically two parallel canons, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, just because Scarlett O'Hara has three children in the books and has only one child in the movie, it doesn't. It's not better or worse. It's just like there are two different ways of telling the same story. But yeah, but basically, Charles Nix, one of this, uh, he kind of came up with these kind of maxims for adaptation, and one of them was that it's better to cut something out than to change it. Yeah, and that's that's who we were quoting with that. And I think it actually, yeah. if if you think about it, it does stand true because we're not talking about little changes. We're not talking about, um, you know. I'm trying to think. Like, we're not talking about, oh, you can't add, like, a scene here and there. Like, we were just mm-hmm. talking about how good the Viserys scene was. And that is certainly changing something. We're not saying no changes. But when you're talking about epically changing something, like, let's put Jamie and Dorn. Stop. Think about yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, Maybe. if you want to read more about his kind of views, there's a there's a book on Amazon. I'm looking at it right now. It's, uh, it's called Memo from uh, David O'Shelsnick, where it's just basically a, it's a collection of a bunch of his writings where he's talking about the creation of Gone with the Wind. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and they th- did change things from the books, like even like some thematic things, but it's generally considered to be a very good and faithful adaptation. Yeah, and sometimes you do have to change that stuff, but yeah. there's... It, there's definitely no respect with what Game of Thrones is doing to A Song of Ice and Fire. Like, that's out the window. And they really do think they're changing the story for the better. Yeah. And that's... And they're, they're so courageous. <laughs> that's the whole thing. They're just... They're breaking every single rule that... <laughs> every single adaptational rule. So th- that's where that came from, just to, just to clarify. It's, it's not self... Like, necessarily self-evident. It just mm-hmm. is something that led to a very successful adaptation. Okay. Um... You t- you said that Maggie's old age and un- unattractiveness has a thematic point in Cersei's arc. Can you elaborate a bit, please? Wow, we need to do a Cersei hour. We do. Love Cersei so much. <sighs> she's so, a horrible person. She's <laughs> awful. She's a misogynist. Yeah, but like, um, we're both kind of, um, I think um, a few months ago, we kind of made the decision to kind of look at her more closely and we started rereading her chapters. And God, she's fascinating. She's, I think her my characters thir- are all so awesome. I think she's my third favorite character. Yeah? Yeah. Like, legitimately. I mean, not, I don't like her, you know, but no, I love she's her. not a good person. Well, the thing about Cersei, to answer this question, is that she associates attractiveness with worth in women. And with, with power. Because the only way that women can wield power is by using their attractiveness to manipulate men. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how she operates. Because she is deeply, deeply, deeply 
misogynistic. She also hates it. <laughs> yeah. She and, hates like, that she's a woman. She hates that she has to do this shit. She makes all these comments about, like, she's resentful that she's relegated from power because she's a woman, which is true. But the thing is, she's not resentful that women are rele- relegated from power. She's resentful because she's a woman and therefore relegated from power. I read this great thing that was like, Cersei is a woman's rights activist if the woman that is in question is named Cersei Lannister. Yes. She's a... Sh- yeah. She, she thinks like the gods made a terrible mistake by making her a woman because women are weak and stupid and she's not. She's she's strong and she's smart and she... You know, people should recognize it but don't because the gods are stupid and they made her a woman. And she's not entirely wrong either. Like, legitimately people do discount women. So she... Yeah. That's, that's the whole thing. Martin does this. The people that are assholes are still not wrong. Yeah, like she's, she has a point. She always has a point, but she's also, you know, she's not a very good leader at all. She's not nearly as smart as she thinks she is. And, but yeah, the thing about Maggie the Frog is that she's everything that Cersei thinks that she can dismiss. You know, she is, she's like low born. She's a foreigner. Um, she's ugly. Mm-hmm. She's old. And, you know, Cersei values, you know, rich, high born, beautiful young women. Because that's what she thinks she is. And so the fact that this this woman that is supposed to be everything that makes her worthless has this power over Cersei with this prophecy just adds to the kind of visceral terror she has. Yeah, and that's the other thing, too. It's like her fear of becoming this woman. And yeah. Yeah. It's just... Yeah. That, that's the thematic significance. It's basically... Yeah, so I, I think this ask came out of the... Because we... Um, somebody a- sent another ask about, like, uh, is it... Am I wrong to be bothered by the fact that they made Maggie the Frog attractive? We're like, no, you weren't wrong to be bothered not by wrong that. to be bothered <laughs> by that. <laughs> well, because like, it was also completely unneeded. Like, why did they need a young, hot girl? Well, the prophecy didn't even matter. So whatever. No, no, it really didn't. <laughs> um, I got an ask that just came in right now. So oh. I'm going to read it. This is exciting. We're live. Uh, which non-point of view characters are your favorites or do you find the most interesting? Doran. <laughs> Doran, because he is Ariane. That's not fair to yeah. say, because he is yeah. Ariane. Yeah. But it, it, like, very obviously is Doran for us. Uh, Damon Sand. Let's do five. So. I have, okay, so five. You said Damon Sand. I said Damon Sand. Because he's, we ship him with Ariane. <laughs> I'm gonna actually say, um. Okay, this is the serious list. Five. Yeah, this is the, well, no, Doran is serious. Okay, Doran is one. He's like, we will go to bat for Doran. He is mm-hmm. very seriously on this list. I'm going to say something. I don't know that you're going to agree with this, Joya. Okay. But I'm going to actually say Garland Terrell, which okay. I know the Terrells are really opaque and I'm not that fascinated by them like other people, but I like Garland. I think he's a munch at the same time. I think there's also like a 50-50 chance he's the one who poisoned Joffrey. So that kind of adds a little something. And I don't know. He just seems like a stand-up dude. And he... I'm interested to learn more about him, but I don't know why. I guess. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say something similar. Um, this is Wendy's fault. Uh, I'm going to say Sybil Spicer. Yes. Oh, this is Wendy. Really made me like her. Yeah. Not even like her, but just like be, be interested in her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I want to, I want to know her story. I do. I feel. I feel really bad for her. I'm. I'm trying to think because we already talked about how much we like Alice Carstark, but yeah, I don't. I don't think she's top five though. Is she? No. Val, you love Val. Yeah. Um, we're kidding. I don't think I want to be inside Lysa's head right now, but, um, but I know God, we were talking. Is she fascinating? Yeah. But like back uh, on the westeros.org forums, you we were talking about like if you were to write a uh, Robert's Rebellion series, like who would be your POV? And my number one was Lysa. Yeah. Like I want to be in Lysa's head during that story. 
because it would be fucking tragic. It would be awful. I think yeah. you need to write that story. Like that would be amazing. I don't think I don't think I could do that amount of work. Um, I mean, you know, like I, I have the general interest. I think we all do with like Howland Reed. I think we're all intrigued by him. Nah. Have, have to be, but I, yeah. I I wouldn't say he's top five. This mm. is difficult. I um, think about the non POVs a lot. Oberyn. <laughs> I mean, I think like I think we have a handle on Oberyn now. I'm not sure. Maybe I, it's all in our head. I don't know if I really need to explore him more. Yeah, we're such assholes. We're like, yeah, we got him figured out. We got him nailed. <laughs> I, I, but we're. I know we we put a lot of work into Oberyn. I think. Yeah. Like I, I'm quite comfortable with uh, my conception of him at this point. I mean, I'm ready to be proven wrong, of course, because you know this is not my story. But um. Yeah. Yeah. We did. I, I, I'm quite comfortable with my conception of him right now. Yeah, we really did spend a good amount of time. You know who I'm fascinated by, and this is, you're not going to be shocked, is Anders Ironwood. <laughs> I need to know everything <laughs> about him. Yeah. I need to know how he likes to cut his hair, if he has that stupid modern haircut from his fantasy flight card or not. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm going to try to consciously move away from Dorne somehow. <laughs> you're, uh, just gonna, you're just going to feed it. Um, maybe a maester. Like, I'm mm. interested in Marwyn, but I'm not interested in Marwyn. You know, I no, want to see it through Sam's I'm not, very, I'm not really interested in Marwyn, to tell you the truth. You won't. He's leaving, remember? I don't even care that much. That's the thing. I feel like I should like him more than I do. Yeah. There's, a, there's quite a few characters like that. Just like, like what's Hybrid. wrong with, like, yeah. Like, you, know, you know what? Varys. I can't believe I didn't say Varys. I actually legitimately am intrigued by him. Yeah, I know. I'm absolutely intrigued, but it's just one of those things with, you know, the, the, if you could ask three questions thing. I'm more than willing to wait and find out what's going on. Oh, yeah, totally. Ferris. I don't think I, I wanna... don't really feel the need to speculate. But like, I definitely, you know, like I think the question point. was like, do we find them enjoyable? I find Varys yeah. extremely enjoyable. Yeah. Like, there's something going on with that man, and I really want to know what it is. Yeah. And it's going to be awesome when we find out, I think. Yeah. Or Martin's a troll. It's because he's a mermaid. <laughs> or no, no, he's two kids standing under the shoulders. <laughs> was that a theory? Um, I'm not sure how how uh, th- the thing about theories of a song of ice and fire is that they they are the epitome of Poe's law. You cannot tell if something is a joke or not. Well, and yeah, we're gonna do a theory hour. I know it, but yeah. the whole thing about theories is that everyone wants the next R plus L equals J, so mm-hmm. they just go more and more reaching, and uh, it's a hot mess. <laughs> Oh wait, one more non-POV that I'm in love with is Tyene. Oh yes. I'm sorry. I'm trying to move away from Dord. You're not helping. I can't. She's so <laughs> crazy. I love her. Yeah, she's in, yeah she's in, she's uh, our fame is problematic, but we love her. Yeah, she's really problematic. All right, yeah. next next question because we're just gonna keep listing everyone in Dord. We actually really love Alice Lady Bright. <laughs> <laughs> I, I put her in both of my fanfics, so yeah. Um, do you think Martin Noble Savage is a Dothraki? Also, do you think his portrayal of Essos in general and or Slaver's Bay? Or what do you think of his portrayal of Essos in general and or Slaver's Bay? Savages. To me, they seem uh, well less rounded than Restros, but that may be because we mainly see them through Jenny's eyes. Um, There's a lot going on in this. Uh, the Noble mm-hmm. Savage th- Savage thing like, is, is definitely a trope, but they do they seem more noble? Yeah, they seem like assholes to they me. They seem savage savages. <laughs> yeah. Um, here, here's what I will say is, you know, Julie and I spend, and we're both white, so I don't, you know, just 
take that with a full grace. disclaimer. Yeah, just to take that. But um, Julia and I spend a lot of time talking about Martin's choice to set a song of ice and fire in a very heavily toxic patriarchal society, and mm-hmm. how that's a commentary in its own way on sexism, and how just because most of these characters are sexist, and how like good guys are rapists in this system, because that's just how it works. It's it's not an endorsement, and it is to provide a larger dialogue. Yes, yeah. we I we think he's very successful with this. There's parts that are not great. There's parts that are fabulous. You know, yeah. I I would argue he tries to do the same thing with races and not as successfully yeah in my view it's not as successful i think it's incredibly successful in dorn because we have dornish point of views yeah but god without the yeah he's i think he's he said he was never going to have an associate point of view right he said that yeah he has and and we're done no more new povs is what he's told us at this point they do feel less rounded yeah they do feel yeah, but like um, if we're talking about Slaver's Bay, like I think the point is that it's this terrifyingly complex, terrifyingly old society that there's just no way that Danny can possibly understand it, mm-hmm. and that kind of necessitates exoticization, I think, which is problematic. Yeah. Yeah, and there are definitely stereotypes about each of the different free cities, and you know the mm-hmm. way people dress in Carth. It's very yeah. It's uh. I don't think he's as successful with what he's trying to do there. So I, I do agree with a bit of discomfort, but I, I also think it's to that higher critique. It's just. Yeah, he's not, yeah, he's not necessarily as successful. Yes. He's trying, like, you know. Like, I is. don't, I don't think there's any malice in this. No. Like, he's and, not and, trying to create a stereotype or anything like that. And I think the show has made it a lot worse with the white savior imagery because, mm-hmm. like, that's, that's how people kind of think of us as now, just that brown land. And it's, he, he did create, he did try to, you know, make this diverse and unique in its own right, but God, without without those SOC POVs, I think I think we're just really feeling that there's that that commentary just isn't as accessible. Maybe, yeah. Um, so we could, yeah, because like you know, if you think about like how he was, how successful he was in Dorn, and how much when we got into like Dornish characters' heads, how much it kind of. Uh, how much it kind of destroyed over the impressions that were made. Right, a, which, which Oberon was like totally playing up, by the way. Yeah, like he was he was kind of very consciously using all these stereotypes to make everybody uncomfortable. And just like, like my favorite example is that the way that they're talking about Alaria in A Storm of Swords and how she's this like scandalous figure who probably worships a Lysani love goddess. The Yeah, and then and we see her like kind of among her own people and she's just like normal. She's like you a know? mom. She, yeah, she, she's a mom. She, she's worried about her kids and she... Just wants to live a normal life, and yeah. she's she's not this like scandalous figure, right? And yeah, it's just yeah. There's there's nothing particularly exotic about her. She's just Oprah's girlfriend. <laughs> they, yeah. you know, they've been together for more than fifteen years, and they're just normal. So I think that was a really good way to explore those that racism, and and mm-hmm. you know, again, the whole thing with it with, with the three types of Dornish that we yelled about. <laughs> um, <laughs> Like you were probably yelling at. <laughs> I think I think Martin is pretty successful with it, although you know some members of the fandom don't see it. Yeah, but yeah, I I have discomfort about Essos. I will say that. Yeah, um, I'm gonna despite like, how much we gush, we don't think George R. R. Martin is perfect. No, um, no. no, our fave is problematic. I I want to lighten it up with the next task. 
So. Awesome. Hi, sorry, I think I missed a few important <laughs> posts. What's this about a thumb ring of doom and Tristane's sword? <laughs> okay, so this is about, uh, this is about Fabio. We have another Fabio now, we can't have to stop following calling him that. Yeah, yeah he's Tristane Jonas. Yeah, Tristane Jonas, and the fact that he's always wearing a sword, which is just so stupid. <laughs> Why is he going on his dates with Marcella with a sword? <laughs> and the thumb ring of doom is that when he goes to kiss her, he reaches out with his hand, and there's this hanging thumb ring. Yeah, it, it's like protruding, like several centimeters from his thumb. It's it like, like he's like he's like wearing a giant washer around his thumb. It seriously pokes her in the face. You can see the indent. Like it's it's just a very strange costuming choice. We had to we had to call out because it was just very strange. There's nothing incredibly deep here, guys. I'm sorry. No. Why did he have a cutlass? That he dropped, I mean, like, we don't know much about Tristane in the books. He never appears on page. But the impression you get of him is not of, you know, a little boy who's really into swords. He's so cute. and My cat is so much closer. <laughs> he's a lot like Steven Universe, I think. Oh, he's strong in the real way. Yeah. But he's not like, you know, he's, he, he's not tactically masculine. No. Like, he'll he's... cry when his BFF is leaving. Yeah, he's a cutie. We like yeah. Tristane, even though that elusive punk has never appeared on page. No. Um, I'm going to do another quick funny one, just because. Okay. Should book readers be armed and form the fans militant, we can overthrow D&D and put them to trial. Uh, we don't endorse violence in any way. We anymore. do not endorse violence, but I kind of like the idea of calling ourselves the fans militant. Although book sounds <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, if we put them to trial, I don't know, they'd have some kind of butt birthmark as proof of their competency, so... Mm-hmm. It'd never work. No. Fans militant is hilarious, so I want to coin that. Okay. I approve. <laughs> Alright, uh, should I do something really heavy? D- yeah, let's blow into it. Alright, so something not at all light. Is Tyrion jealous of Jamie and Cersei's sexual relationship? Do you think he wants her too, or is he just as disturbed as it, uh, by it as others are? Definitely doesn't seem disturbed. Tyrion, um, creeps on Cersei, like, more often than Jamie does. Yeah. In the books. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, right. he, I don't know if jealous is the right term. Yeah. He's, he just like, um. He's a misogynist. Yeah, he, uh, he internally shames her, like more or less constantly. And he ejectifies her. And he thinks about, in, in the last book, he talks about how he wants to go and rape her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that's the thing about Tyrion is that he's a misogynist. He's actually yeah. incredibly similar to Cersei, which people don't like to talk about, but he is. Yeah. He, and they're I, both incredibly similar to Tywin. I mean, like, yeah, like to Cersei's kind of, Cersei kind of lose herself about how similar she is to Tywin in some ways, but in other ways, she's very similar to him. And Tyrion is Tywin. Oh my um, god, we didn't say, we didn't talk about Tywin in our, uh, non-POVs we wanted to know more about. Oh, I don't know if I want to know that much about him. He's Yeah, ter- well, I kind of ter- like, I want things confirmed about him, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'd be interested to know about, like, Joanna, too, like, what their relationship yeah. was actually like and all that. Um, yeah, but because Tyrion is also a misogynist, like, that, every time he and Cersei kind of, you know, like, go up against each other, he has a very sexist response to it, which yeah. is a want for sexual domination. I think so. And, like, he's just so unfair to her. So, like, with the slut shaming, there's this part where, um... He's ridiculous. Where Tywin is tormenting, 
we're tormenting Cersei by saying that he's going to marry her off. And he's talking about Willis Tyrell. And he's talking about, like, how Willis is really into breeding uh, birds and horses and dogs and things like that. And Tyrion thinks to himself, oh, they'll should get along because Cersei also has a passion for breeding. And it's just like, fuck you. You just came back from banging a prostitute, okay? Shut the fuck up. Sex worker. Yeah. Yeah. Sex worker. <laughs> Yeah, no, that that line is so telling to Tyrion, and and that's again, this is the whole point that he Cersei's that he's he will judge her for shit that he does. Like mm-hmm. that's that's Cersei to a T, and that's Tywin to a T. Is <laughs> that they'll cast judgment and be hypocrites? Like yeah, Tywin shaming slut shaming Tyrion, and then what do we find out? Oh, he yeah. was fucking Shay. Like these guys are all related, except Jamie, who's the black sheep of the family, because he's just not that smart. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, well, Jamie had like a formative experience that yeah. kind of I think kind of changed him. I uh, guess you can say for the better in some ways, but yeah. Also, we we do like Jamie. I just he's yeah. not as smart as his siblings. No, he's not, and he's not perfectly redeemed or anything like that. No, never. Well, we don't believe in perfect no. redemption. <laughs> We're so deep. Uh, you love us. Actually, yeah. that transitions well into another ask, because I don't want to belabor the point of Tyrion's a misogynist, and he does definitely creep on Cersei, but I would not call it, I would not call it jealousy. It's just yeah. douchebaggery. Um, so this one is just thoughts on Jamie and Brienne's relationship. Um, I know we kind of talk about how we like it better as a bromance. Which is very confusing to a lot of people. Uh, I, I don't ship it. I know you don't ship it. I have exactly one ship, so. (laughs) It's a very noble ship. I, I, I started, (laughs) um, ironically shipping, I call it the social justice flagship of Brienne and Sansa. (laughs) Because think about it. They both have the beauty and the beast thing going on. They both have the true what it means to be a knight thing going on. It's subverting it in the awesome way. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Uh, um, well, it's clear that they're into each other. I mean, like, yeah. they oh, ship definitely. themselves. Even if they don't want to admit it. Jamie definitely doesn't want to admit it. I think they're confused by their feelings for each other, which is adorable. But yeah. I just don't care enough for them to hook. I don't know why. I just don't want it. I think it would be really weird if they'd actually hooked up. But they both want to. So, like, yeah. I think we're we're definitely not going to deny that there's a, a spark there. Um, yeah. And obviously, like... They, when they're both on their ridiculously parallel travels in a feast for crows. Yeah, they probably like pass within two miles of each other at several points or something. They're always thinking about each other. Yeah. And their sword fight was kinky. Like, I mean. Yeah, but it's not like, like, um, it's like sexually charged, but it's not like, what's it like? Like the sexual energy is definitely there, but that's not like the foundation of the relationship in any way. No. Like they, they could be bros. If they there wasn't that gross. sexual energy there, then the relationship would still work on many levels. Yeah, and the relationship is interesting because it's, you know, she's kind of got these idealized conceptions of honor versus him. And, and what ends up happening is they're going a little bit reversey in their <laughs> character arcs where she's becoming increasingly disillusioned and he's becoming increasingly idealistic, right? Yeah. And they're kind of like going to meet in the middle. And, you know, it's obviously really fucking telling when he punches Red Ron in the face. Yeah. And, you know, again, it's, it's the whole thing. He romanticized his relationship with Cersei in his head, and then when he gets back to Cersei, and it's just this... Yeah, because horrible. Cersei and, and Jaime are also, like, on divergent paths. Yeah. So, it's, it's you know, Brienne contextualizes things for him, Jaime contextualizes things for her. 
they're both yeah. really important to each other's development, but yeah. I just... It's kind of like the same thing we say about Sansa. Like, Sansa clearly kind of, sh- kind of ships it, so we kind of have to in that way, but... Yeah. yeah. But, like, I could hand. not give fewer yeah. shits if this happens. <laughs> yeah. We're not exactly rooting for it, but... <laughs> like, I'm sorry that's weird to say. I just yeah. do not care. <laughs> and Brienne, like, which is so weird because Brienne's my girl and, like, mm-hmm. I love Jamie. He's one of my favorite characters, so... Yeah, I'd say, I'd say, I was doing that, um, ranking my favorite characters, and I definitely think Brienne's number four and he's number five. Yeah? Yeah. It's a very good list. I've got the first five pegged down. Okay. But, so, is it my turn again? Yeah, it is. Do you think the, sh- um, the show as a whole would have been more faithful to the books if the original pilot, which was closer to the books, had been approved of? The reason that was rejected was mm-hmm. because there are a lot of problems that showed their incompetency <laughs> like yeah there like is, it, it was a train wreck like nobody knew what the fuck was going on who hadn't read the books a thousand times over it really is Apparently. confusing it, it, no one has seen it so we don't know exactly what happened it's yeah. very telling the changes that they made that were far from the books i'm yeah. kind of i don't know i love michelle farrelly but i'm yeah. kind of upset that jennifer l didn't get cast because yeah jennifer l. we stan her <laughs> we do well we're prime prejudice nerds yeah um no, I don't think it's... I think if that had been greenlit, we would have had a holy clusterfuck that got cancelled after a season. Yeah, which might have been better for book snobs, but... So yeah, then we would have had a closer an adaptation that was closer to the books. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know, even if uh, Game of Thrones, as we got it, was cancelled after season one, I think most book readers would look back at it pretty fondly. Yeah. So It is really telling the changes from those pilots that like were more divergent, though. Uh, yeah. There's there's an article, maybe we'll link to it. I, I'll yeah. link to it that like summarized. I don't think I've I've seen this before. So can you summarize for me? No, because I don't remember all the points. You don't remember? Okay. It, no, it was it was like it literally went through every single scene, and it was like this is this is what this was, and this was the change. I think it was. You don't remember anything at all. I want to know now. God damn it! <laughs> Unaired Game of Thrones pilot. I mean, like apparently one of the problems was that nobody knew who the fuck Theon was. Yeah. But well, nobody knows you know who the what? fuck Theon is in the show either. I was unsullied when I was watching season one, right? And mm-hmm. I didn't know who Theon was until like <laughs> nine episodes in. Um, okay, apparently in the original pilot there was a really, really close look at the others. Uh it just the pilot apparently started out with Will looking at the frozen corpses. Uh, so they didn't really have, like, that opening banter with Royce and all that. Okay. Okay. Uh, there was, there's different looking credits to the fuck heirs. There is less of an introduction of the Starks. Uh, we just pick up with Ned riding out to do the execution, just like in the books. So there was the, there's no archery with Bran and then. That was a little stupid with Arya. Yeah, that was stupid. She's not like other girls. Theon is way more of an asshole. That should have stayed. Yeah, it should have. Um, we meet Daenerys earlier instead of 33 minutes in. Okay. We meet her 33 minutes in? I didn't realize that. She gets married in the first episode too, doesn't she? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of shit happens during that first episode. There's no scene between Jamie and Cersei where he was like, as your brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was, that was kind of necessary, I think, to... Tyrion's brothel scene happens in King's Landing. That makes a lot more sense, actually. Well, then they had wormholes. They already had wormholes, because Jamie and... Um, Cersei scene was in King's Landing. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, Tyrion and the sex worker talk about John Aaron? What? Who wouldn't? Rather than his penis? Yeah, and then Jamie walks in and he's like, we're going nice! Uh, 
the pilot has a lot less of the Stark family, so that scene where Rob and John and Theon are all shirtless and, like, <laughs> sucking in their stomachs isn't there. The crypt oh, no. scene, oh, the crypt scene is a lot longer. Yeah, but the crypt scene, like, they, they use the original crypt scene in the actual yeah. pilot, did they? Yeah, Tyrion actually pets Ghost in the original pilot. Yeah, it's like these two are actually longer. Uh, the feast scenes play out somewhat differently. This is, thank you, that's helpful. <laughs> it's like that summary of Arian 2 that we did. <laughs> I'm trying to skim, but like, yeah. this is stupid. Uh, Catelyn tells Ned he must go to King's Landing. <gasps> Why did they change that? Oh my god. Jennifer Eel kind of probably killed it too. Jennifer Eel was probably like, you are giving me this line. <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm going to Jennifer Eel face you. <laughs> uh, she stood up to Lady Catherine she can stand up to anyone <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then Daenerys's wedding is a bit nicer so yeah. that's actually a change uh, I don't mind that they did because they aged up Daenerys so I think mm-hmm. showing that this was a rape like explicitly was not the worst call in the world I have I have much less, less of an issue with that change than a lot of people do okay are we ready to move on mm-hmm Alright, oh, let's see, let us scroll through this randomly and think of, uh, oh, this is a nice uh, question we get every other day. Who do you think would be best suited for the Iron Throne? Ariane numeros Mortel. <laughs> she would be horrible at it. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> she would be awful. Like, I don't, this is gonna sound, I'm, I don't want to sound rude, I just like don't really care. Yeah, like, isn't the whole, the same way. Isn't the whole point about it, it's all about circumstances. It's all about circumstances. It's all about like allies. It's all about the intersection of personal and political. Like I don't think there's any one ruler. I can tell you things I really liked about you know Danny and John's leadership style, for instance, and I can tell you yeah. shit I didn't like. So, <laughs> and it's obviously it doesn't like we don't obviously because we don't live in Westeros. We don't give a fuck who has the best claim. So no, not at all. Like it's it's a discussion that's maybe worth having from a Watsonian perspective, but but that's like, not a perspective that interests. Well, I no. mean, sometimes just not. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a perspective to consider when you're considering like how the characters act. But yeah, I'm sorry, we're just not too invested in who the hell sits in that chair at the end. I'm sorry, like yeah, that's like not really what we think of as quote unquote end game. Like I could not yeah. care less. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna care when we're getting there. I I don't mean yeah. to say I don't care. I care where the plot goes. I just don't really like. Eh, okay, <laughs> there's people that would would be good at governance. People that wouldn't. Um, I actually want to quickly just someone asked how's Carol a tiger mom? When did she insult her kids and was strict to shape them into behavior in the show? That's what a tiger mom is, right? Yeah. Apparently, we kind of got this. We've been this using cultural. This yeah, we thought, we thought it was just like a fierce mom that would like fight people. Yeah, yeah. super mom. I think would be a better word. Yeah. But, you know, Tiger Mom's stuck. So, but I'll just, that was just a quick one because I wanted to be like, yeah, we're stupid. Um, but the other, the other one is, uh, do you think there are any justifiable theories out there that would be more interesting than what Martin has actually written? I'm confused by this question. I'm sorry. Yeah. So am I. Cause like, if it's a justifiable theory, then how is it not what he's written? Yeah. Or are you saying, like, is it a theory that we don't think is going to happen, but, like, would we rather that Tyrion was a Targ? Because, no. Mm. 
I know there was um, a theory before uh, A Feast for Crows came out that was very popular, the, the Great uh, Little Finger Conspiracy. Ugh. Okay, no. Tell yeah. me all about it. No, I, don't, I actually don't know that much about it, but just basically that, like, Littlefinger was responsible for everything and he was pulling any, all the strings. Any theory with the word great in it, yeah. <laughs> you've lost me. And a conspiracy, too. You've just lost me. Because yeah. I just, I don't like things that neatly wrap up everything and, you know, suddenly Oberyn's founding the fucking bloody mummers. And you're like, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> just no. Uh, more interesting than what Martin's written. Like, I, I seem to find what he's writing really interesting. Yeah, since we're here, and we've been talking for almost an hour about this. <laughs> uh, well, I'll do one more, then, because those are all both short. Yeah. What do you think of the fact that some fans genuinely like Euron? I just feel confusion. Like, isn't it obvious that he's full of shit? Like, isn't that obvious? There's Seriously. Like-, like, this is an actual question. <laughs> I think it is. Yeah. He runs away because the book nerd is like, he's like, I've been to Valyria. The book nerd goes, have you? And then he flees. Well, first he tells him to shut up and then he runs away. He's like, shut up, nerd. And then he just like grabs his shit and runs out. <laughs> that guy is legitimate. <laughs> I mean, there's always going to be bad fans and like, quote unquote, bad fans. I don't mean, I, I mean, Fans of bad, like the people who stand for Walter White on Breaking Bad, for instance, mm-hmm. where, you know, there's people who are really big fans of Ramsey in the, in the books and yeah. in the show a little bit. Kildare stands. Yeah. Kilgrave, exactly. sorry. Kilgrave, yeah. Kildare is from something else. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there's people that are kind of attracted to this idea. Then there's also the fact that we don't really know a lot about Euron, so it's fun to project onto him, I guess. Mm-hmm. But- I mean, he's obviously, like, like, he's not stupid, obviously. No, but he's got he's a charisma. Full of shit. He's an asshole who's full of shit. Yeah, I mean, I just missed, missed. I'm mystified. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, something that's wholly uncontroversial. Uh, some commenters uh, believe that Sansa is the reason that Ned died, and the Starks are now in, in trouble. And if any character deserves to be raped, it's her. And by the law of Westeros, she wasn't actually raped because she was just abused by her spouse. What? I know that. Yeah. Wait. Holy shit! Is this about the? show yes or it has to be about the show because Tyrion was nice enough to not rape her a good guy i know it's just a show but uh holy fuck i feel worried for anyone who gets close to people like that um do you have any good comebacks people who say it's just a show oh 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 okay my god i thought the anon was asking (laughs) yeah all this shit sorry i had to put you through that whole thing but then the question needed context So, so the whole thing is about like the the space for apology, I think, that yeah. the show opened up. How there's a space for apology that... Well, the show didn't imply in any way that Sansa was responsible for Ned's death. But, you know, maybe people project that onto it or something. Um, well, Ned was responsible for Ned's death because he was just so stupid. In the show? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I know I'm ready to die. I'm gonna die. You're like, what? What are you talking about, dude? This is not inevitable. You have a really big name. <laughs> kind of important um but you know that that's not to say there aren't a lot of people who think that sansa deserves to be raped because they're Mm -hmm. just like so annoyed with her character like that's still a fandom tendency even with the show and then there's also the way that the show portrayed it as a hardened woman making a choice for her marriage and subsequent rape which is terrifying we talk about a lot in our winter hell podcast episode two (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel worried for anyone who gets close to people like that, too. But the whole, it's just to show, does the space for apology not matter thing? I mean... Yeah, like, how, like, how is it okay to be okay with a show that just blatantly uses rape as a cheap plot device? Right. Like, even if... even if it doesn't like influence the culture in a fundamental way or anything like that, how is it okay for people to write a show like that? Why right. should like people let them get away with it? And let's talk about how it doesn't influence the culture because this is, you know, one of the most viewed TV shows. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the most pirated show. I think if the pirated numbers are combined with the legal numbers, it's like smashes every record. It's yeah. a number that was filleted with awards, <laughs> like continually filleted by critics and like yeah. just awards were showered with awards. Um, so not only, you know, we can, I'm not saying it, it's not the thing like video games make people violent, yeah. but the fact is if this game, if this show is as successful as it is, doesn't that send a very strong message to creators of media about what types of storytelling they can use? Yeah. And to act as if TV shows don't influence our culture in any way is just kind of asinine. Yeah. It really is. I'm not saying Game of Thrones is going to make you a rapist, but it is going to give you some fucked up understanding. Yeah. And if nothing else, the idea that rape can be entertaining and it's normalized. We already live in a rape culture. Yeah. Go watch Jessica Jones. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Shows matter. Media media matters. Uh, Yes. Stories we tell matter. Books matter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it's really... In some ways, I'm really, really uplifted that Jessica Jones did as well as it did. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Anyone who says it's just a show, calm down, is probably an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I have to say. Well, like, there's worse things happening. Yes, and this is actually playing on a lot of those, uh, you know, systems of power and a lot of yeah. the issues that we are facing. There are worse things that are happening. Like, real women being raped and this is a show that's creating a space for apology with it yeah and it's a show oh it's another show that uh you know miranda the accidental abuse victim right yeah it's it's a a show that is putting forth the message of what an abuse victim should look like yeah yeah there's there's just so many horrifying there's this idea that like we don't have to care if a horrible person is being abused just like the whole thing that people just don't give a fuck about prison rape because they're criminals yeah you know it's the same kind of thing like she's a horrible person therefore who cares if ramsey's abusing her that's just no that's that's not something we should be perpetuating and writers who see themselves as these progressive you know visionaries who are all about wonderfulness like they that they should not be able to get away with that at all we are calling them out on it they should definitely not be showered with awards. Holy fuck. No, oh my god. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But Hard Home looked cool. Yeah, well. Okay, next question. <laughs> After that light topic, I'm going to really bring some levity. <laughs> do, you right. find, do you find it disturbing that the two characters with some of the most destructive internalized misogyny, Catelyn and Sansa, also received some of the most hate from the fandom? Yeah, it's disturbing, but it's also kind of unsurprising, isn't it? <laughs> it's completely unsurprising. Uh, <sighs> I... Cersei hate really upsets me too. Again, yeah. the whole do we not care about bad people? It's not surprising at all. Uh there's a lot of sexism and you know, Catelyn and, and Sansa, you know, people think they're not sexist because well, we love Arya, right? Yeah. Because Arya does shit, quote unquote. And I'm, I'm not saying I don't like Arya, I love Arya. Yeah. But 
But Arya would never say things like that about Cat and Sansa, would she? No. Arya kind of likes them. Yeah. And the fact is, like, they're using skill sets, they're using tools at their disposal that are more quote-unquote feminine, and it only seems passive because we have a society that's so slanted towards, you know, the stock action hero, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was the thing. The thing about Sansa is that, like, you know, she, she and Catelyn too. They were they were raised to think in such limited ways, and to have like you know such limited ambitions for themselves. It's, it's not fair, really, to expect them to be these these things that they they just don't have the conceptions and they, they, they like the cultural conception for them being what we expect them to be just doesn't exist. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, people expecting, like, Cersei to be a feminist, you're like, that's not gonna happen. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the whole, like, uh, Watsonian doyless balance. But, <laughs> and, like, obviously, the, these two characters were created by, like, you know, a liberal in the, uh, you know, the late 1990s. But, like, the way that Catelyn especially navigates through the patriarchy is absolutely fascinating and, like, it couldn't have been done anything but completely consciously. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Martin's not, like, accidentally writing Cat's patriarchy brain. No. You can't do that. It's just, just, like... Like, her entire kind of internal monologue during the Battle of the Whispering Woods is just... Like, the more you read it, the more fascinated you are. But just this... Just this whole notion that, like, you know, her role in life is to wait for her men. Yeah. And just, just kind of accept whatever choices they make. I guess I have a little sympathy for why some people don't find that exciting to read. Yeah. Because maybe, I don't know, maybe I only feel really strongly about it because of my experience as a woman and like... Mm -hmm. I don't, I think Martin is just really fucked over by genre expectations most of the time. (laughs) I think so too. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, is it disturbing that they received the most hate? It would be surprising if anyone else did. Yes. (laughs) That's where I land on that. Yeah. My turn. Oh, uh, do you think someone in Restoros suspects Rhaegar didn't kidnap Lyanna, or both were in love? Someone probably does. I'm quite sure Benjen knows. Oh, yeah. Well, he's, like, deadish, so. Yeah, or he strongly suspects or something. Also, uh... And I wouldn't be surprised if Jon Arryn figured it out. That wouldn't shock me. And... Yeah. wonder, is Wyla still kicking? Wyla the, the, the wet nurse? Yeah. Sure she is. I mean, she's she's at Starfall, right? She, like, obviously knows. Yeah. Yeah. She it's knows so- that she didn't give birth to John. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Edric has some fucked up notions, but I'm wondering if what's-her-face, what's what's Ashara's sister? Alyssa? Alyssa. I wonder if she no, knows stuff. I, I don't think that's her name. I'll look it up. It's, um, it's with an A-L. I know that. Yeah. Uh, no, but, like, it's, like, the thing, it's not so incredibly obscure, you know? <laughs> Dana yeah. Starfall. <laughs> Illyria. Illyria. Illyria Dan. So Illyria might know. Yeah. But the, she told she told Edric all of the story about Willow, right? So maybe she doesn't... I don't know. Well, maybe she just didn't want to fill her nephew's head with... Or her son's head with all kind of weird shit. Yeah, so she filled him with weird shit about the, <laughs> the servant and the high lord. Your aunt slowly took a tumble. <laughs> Sorry, she's probably a very good mom. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I 
I think there's people that occurred. Oh, Howland, obviously. Well, yeah, well, obviously he was there. So, like, aside from the people who were there, is that what you're saying? Like, John Aaron probably could have parsed this out. Um, yeah, maybe- just like he knows, he knows Ned very well. Just like, Ned, um, who's this baby? Oh, this is totally my kid. Yeah. Okay. Like, maybe anyone who, who knew, uh, Liana kind of well, like, yeah. I, I mean, it, like, I, like, I think for anyone in Westeros, it's just, um, it's just a matter of putting the pieces together. But like, there isn't really any mystery for people in Westeros because, like, you know, high uh, high lords having bastards is a normal thing. Yeah, and I don't think they really cared to think about it. Yeah, and so it, like, it's kind of there's this cultural taboo against asking people what the fuck is up with their bastards. So, I mean, it's canon that there's a lot of people that think that they were in love and just ran off together, but you yeah, know, they just don't go the step further and think about John because why would they? Like, why would they care? Yeah, you there's know, there's nothing to explain. You know, Barristan obviously thinks that like Rhaegar and Lyanna were cool with each other to yeah. some extent. I mean, he romanticizes Rhaegar, but everyone does. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's possible. Actually, speaking of Barristan, uh, but that's what, no, I was I was just gonna say like uh, another thing like the whole thing about uh, Rhaegar kidnapping Lyanna like in universe that doesn't mean shit because nobody gives a fuck about her agency so even if she went willingly they were still considered kidnapping. Yeah, it's all about like how the men's were harmed by this, right? Yeah. So so yeah, just set that aside. <laughs> yeah, no, I was gonna say speaking of Barristan, there's an ask. It's a mild show spoiler for next year, so just mm-hmm. tune out until. You think you can tune back in. But, uh, it's, there's now a rumor that Barristan will be at the Tower of Joy. They're, they're filming the Tower of Joy, uh, mm-hmm. flashback. Which makes zero now. sense okay. at all. <laughs> I want to say the rumor is definitely false, but I can really see, after seeing how blind and uncaring GOT is about continuity and plot holes, of which Dar- Barristan at the Tower of Joy would be a massive example of it. So yeah. I think, I think this is asking if we think it's gonna happen or if we think it's, it probably will. Don't we know that he was at the Trident? I mean, maybe there's a wormhole somewhere near the Ruby Ford. <laughs> well, the Tower of Joy showdown happens after the Battle of the Trident. Yeah, well, well, like, Ned kind of got there, but he ran the whole way, basically, right? No, well, yeah. no, he stood off his storms. Maybe, maybe it's possible that Marison would be able to get to the Tower of Joy from the Trident, but he was, like, severely wounded. Why and that would was... he do that also? <laughs> And that, uh, yeah, well, obviously, like, uh, Barristan in the books doesn't know anything about the Tower of Joy. He wasn't in the, no, he wasn't in Rhaegar's club. No, he just knows that Rhaegar loved Lyanna. Like, that's yeah. what he knows. Apparently. Um, it, he probably will be there. I don't know. Maybe not, actually, cause what's his face? Ian Mc, Mc uh, what's the actor's name? Barry's actor, uh, wrote them a letter about how he thinks that Barristan had, like, some thematic significance left in Deadpan's arc, and how yeah. he really wanted to, like, see this out, and he felt, felt it mattered, and it just made D&D want to kill him more. Yeah, because they're just such menches. So, maybe that's an unsubstantiated rumor, but if he is there, I will be not surprised in the slightest, and even for continuity and plot holes aside, like, what would that add? What would that do? Why the hell are they having the Tower of Joy now? Is it just so we can, like, seal clap and go, look, it's Barristan, I recognize him? Like, seriously, what would this do? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I'm an idiot. They'd be using a different actor, it's however yeah, many course, years yeah. ago. Yeah, well, because they've... <laughs> He's kind of burned that bridge, I think. <laughs> well, and it would be... How many years did they pretend happened in between Robert's Rebellion and the... 20-ish, story? at least. Because Robert's got to be 20-ish, right? In the first season. Yeah. So... <laughs> Well, no, Cersei says in season four that she's been queen for 19 years. 
But so then it's- season, there's a funky timeline going on. Because yeah. then Marcella's like, I've been in Dorne for years. I'm like, what's going on? But the baby on? is still a baby. <laughs> what's happening? Yeah, so, uh, your guess is as good as ours with the timeline. Yeah, and also your guess is as good as ours with Barry the Scary showing up at the Tower of Joy. I, it sounds dumb enough that they do it. <laughs> yeah. Why are they doing the Tower of Joy now? Because R plus L equals J, and we need to really see that. Rather than having, like, John... Yeah, whatever. <laughs> or, like, having Ned have a dream in the first season where when he was supposed to. But, Julia, it's a super secret mystery about R plus L equals J, and they can't know early. It's not, like, you know, just, like, a thematic... Thing. Yeah, if they figure it out, it'll be disastrous. Yeah. Well, because there's no substance to it, so if they figure out their stupid mystery, then they'll have no reason to keep watching. I love that. I like. I think D and D really just think it's like a fun little like Darth Vader being Luke's father twist. Yeah, when it's like, which that's how Alfie Allen talks about it too. When yeah. there's actually like an entire thematic, like it, it's very significant. To yeah, everything, and especially to Ned's well, like father. really, like Ned, Ned's actions in a Game of Thrones don't really make sense without it, you know. So of well, course, his actions in a Game of Thrones don't really, like the first season in yeah, they, they don't really make sense at all because we don't get any of that. Yeah, but like once you have that scaffold of R plus L equals J, like his actions make a lot more sense. At least like they're they're a lot more plausible. Like especially, you understand why he's acting the way he is, especially with the whole like dragon spawn thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like it's kind of like if if they they had to completely uh, ex- exclude that from the first season, then of course like Ned looks like he's blundering around and just shooting at the dark and acting like a complete moron. Of course, it looks like Honor gets you killed. Yeah, don't get me started on that. Um, we're at like an hour and a half, so you want to pick one more to close it out? Oh my god, so much pressure. Take your time. So much pressure. Oh no, Kylie, you pick for me. I can't do this. What? No. All right, let's do two more. Um, so then you pick the penultimate. I can't do this. Um, what are your expectations for the Winds of Winter? Um, that I'm gonna shit my pants. Yeah, I'm gonna be very stressed out. I'm not sure. I'm gonna have to take some kind of like downer or something to get through it. I'm also okay. I'm the world's slowest reader. Uh huh. I'm just a really slow reader, and I. No, I'm going to want to be talking about it a lot as soon as it comes out. So I'm going to, I have to, I'm going to have to like fucking take vacation days or something. Days? Plural? Yeah, to read it. Uh, we'll take like a Friday or it depends when it comes out. Well, I'm uh, if, if it comes out around April-ish, which is what I'm hoping. hoping, I go on vacation anyway, like the first week of April. So like that's already bad. If, yeah. it, if it comes out and then I have to leave on vacation, I'm going to be, like, ignoring everyone on the plane because I'm traveling with friends. I'm going to be like, nope, shut up. <laughs> Reading this. But I, I'm actually terrified that like, I'm going to be so far behind and everyone's going to be like, what do you think of this? I'm like, I don't know. Well, I'm terrified because, like, it's been, it's been six years at this point and we try not to speculate. We try so hard. But yeah. we have. Like, even if only to ourselves internally. Like, we know what we kind of want to happen. And 99 0.9% it won't. So we're kind of terrified. Except, <sighs> look, not to toot our own horn. Mm-hmm. So there's an Ariane sample chapter that's out and it's on the app and you can read it and it's very accessible. And I think most people have read it. Mm-hmm. There was a reading of Ariane 2 and someone typed up a transcript of Ariane 2. Yeah. And if you are, we're not going to provide links or anything, but if you are a astute fan you can find it 
Yeah. And we read it. And it's like it was written for us. It's like Martin is personally trolling us, actually. Yeah. Because it was so everything we've thought about with Ariane and everything. Yeah. And maybe it's just that we know her really well. But, like, we didn't... I'll be honest. I have moments of doubt of being like, maybe we're wrong about everything. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. All the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, Especially with Ariane, because we're so invested. And yeah. It's this ridiculous. Chapter, like, we have to stop being so invested in this. This chapter was everything. It was Mortel-facing. Yeah. It was, like, shipping. Like, I can't. I can't. Yeah. And just... This, so, this, this whole idea that she's impulsive, <laughs> just like after you see that chapter, just like really. And this whole idea that, that she's like not Doran 2.0. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't want to gush too much. I'm just saying, yeah. like, I don't want to be overconfident. I certainly yeah. don't think very highly of my own capacity to analyze any yeah. of this. But that but, was like, other than that boost. plot line, like, I don't really have oh, expectations, yeah. expectations. Ariana is and Ariana is going to make us have a stroke. Yeah. Because either she I'm pretty sure either she or Damon is going to die and yeah. I want to kill myself right now thinking about it. <laughs> so like in within Winds of Winter but yeah we we really don't. We we don't do much predictions. Our our, our expectations are more like our expectations are more like uh, what we'll find out about like her character, like things that we know are going to happen, or at least like choices that we know she'll have to make. Like we're quite sure we know what choices she'll make, or at least like her motivations for the choices. Yeah. So we could be wrong, and that really terrifies us. <laughs> yeah. If she starts, if she's like, let me hop into bed with my stupid cousin. Yeah. Maybe my stupid maybe cousin. We'll have to eat a lot of crow. Mm-hmm. And it will not be pleasant. No. Well, depending on the context. Uh. Yeah. Well, there there are there are contexts in which. How is it that this question yeah. was just like, what are you expecting about WoW? And we're just like, oh yeah. No. Well, other than that, we're not really expecting anything. Like, so, like we've we've kind of purposely tried not to. Yeah, but like we're just so invested in Arya at that point, we can't help it. <laughs> but for the other plot lines, yeah, I think we, we've I've been pretty successful at just not having any expectations. Um, I'll tell you what, like Sansa's. Uh, released Windsor Winter sample chapter that they, mm-hmm. they they just posted that he posted before the season. It was going in a direction I didn't expect, but I'm really excited about it now. Um, yeah. And it kind of makes me wish that had been in A Dance with Dragons like it was supposed to be. Same with Mercy. Yeah. Mercy is um, something else. We could do an entire podcast on Mercy. We could. All right. So what's the last question? Well, someone named Figs and Newtons. Asked you what you think of Ariane and Aegon. With a Is this what we're face. doing? No. <laughs> okay. Wanted... Then pick the real question, please. Sometimes the troll joy is in box. <sighs> no. Anonymous asked, I'm a bit curious about the Renly Loras relationship in the books, because honestly, I missed all of it until I read the ask you answered, you, I think, being Julia, a while back. Do you think the relationship and sexual orientation affect their reputation? Because it seems like Renly is still seen as very charismatic and Loras an admired knight despite some difficulties of course do you think it ever actually occurred to them that their relationship was sort of taboo and should have been clandestine well the fact that you didn't that you missed it it shows that it was clandestine <laughs> yeah well it was kind of an open secret right like yeah so Jamie knew about it and he wasn't even there so <laughs> it's kind of how homosexuality is in Westeros it's like a dirty yeah. little secret it's not. And I, I kind of um like to be to kind of make the analog to the history of Earth again. Like um 
any kind of like taboo slash shame that was exce- that was um, associated with homosexuality, like basically before the early modern era, was all about being on bo- on the bottom. If you're on top, that was fine, right? <laughs> but if you if you're like on the bottom, if you, if you were like you know the penetrated rather than penetrate e, penetrator. These yeah. roles are immutable. Yeah, these roles are immutable, and but but that was like the woman's role, right? And that was that was seen as a shameful thing for to for a man to be. But if you're like the guy with the act that is actually penetrating, that that's fine. You're yeah. still perfectly manly. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's like a little, you know, it's gossiped about in verse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, does it affect how people view them? We see Cersei be like, I don't want Tommen <laughs> hanging out with Loras because he's going to he might catch the gay. gaze. Yeah. She's Such so enlightened. An I love her. Um, <laughs> Renly is definitely seen as charismatic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people follow him kind of happily, even though he's kind of a stupid person. <laughs> so he must be very charismatic. And, yeah, and he kind of does, he does kind of like um, there are there are a few kind of no homo movements moments in a Clash of Kings from him, isn't there? Where he's talking about how Marjorie's the only thing he needs and things like that. So I think there is an attempt yeah. on their part to keep it clandestine. Yeah, I think so. And, like, e- even when Tyrion's asking Loras, like, what the hell are you doing? Like, why did you, why are you joining the King's Guard right now? Mm-hmm. Um, You know, he doesn't say, oh, because the love of my life died or anything. Like, he he, he says once the sun sets, no candle can replace her. But he, you know, he's not shouting it at the rooftops and he uses like you know euphemism there that they were praying together the night before the battle he's not willing to say that they are actually having sex which is clearly what they were doing yeah so yeah but no it doesn't seem to affect the reputation at all like not like people make fun of loris for it because they assume he's on bottom because that's an immutable role and and that's they kind of make fun of him for that but like they don't seem to think that makes him less capable in any way. No, Jamie just kind of like snaps at him yeah. when he throws that in his face. And then like, aside from Cersei being like, he's not the sort of man to hang out with. Like, it's not. Yeah. But it's Jamie, just... Jamie is like, he's envious of Loras and his like youth and his kind of ideal notions. Yeah. And he's me is what Jamie thinks. Yeah. And Jamie is, is clearly completely hetero. So like, yeah. it's, it's obviously not seen as some kind of defining characteristic of Loras in any way. No, you know, interestingly, aside from, like, the major homophobes, people don't really reduce people in Westeros down to their sexuality. No. Which is, and neither does Martin with how he writes it, which is why I think so many people miss it. Because it's, like, the way so many people write or, like, portray gay characters, it's that, you know, it's Night of the Fabulous. That is the totality of their character, and we have to have a big freaking neon sign, and we have to talk about how they're gay. We have to pat ourselves on the back for having gay characters. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And and that's that's bullshit. It's infantilizing, but, like, for heterosexism. I don't know if there's a term for it. It's probably infantilizing. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah, well, it's just, uh, they expect to be patted on the back, but you're like, oh, you're so brave, you had a great character in your show. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, this is why I hate Modern Family, because, like, the first episode, it was like, well, first of all, the straight dude was, like, sexualized in the first minute, mm-hmm. and then, like, it was these desexualized, ridiculously flamboyant gay couple, which, like, okay, that's that's your representation, good job, you. <laughs> yeah, well, like, Loris isn't flamboyant in any way. No. And 
neither but I, I don't want to imply that there's something wrong with flamboyant gay men. I mean, that's They're how not. You, they exist. That's I'm, just how, saying, yeah, I'm just saying that's that. how you want to express yourself. More power to you. But like, we're well, saying that there's other options yeah. for representation, yeah. and that Martin kind of very consciously supports it with the two of them. Yeah, and like the way um, I know you have some some issues, I think, with how he portrays female homosexuality. Yeah. Um. Well, Tyena and Cersei, I'm. I've always defended that scene because yeah. it's always been about her reclaiming her abuse, and I'm actually now that I've been revisiting her chapters, I'm seeing a very strong attraction to Tyena from the start with Cersei that I didn't necessarily pick up on. And, like, I think there is a legitimate narrative that she might have predilections towards women that she just hasn't explored. And she's way too much of a misogynist to ever yeah. explore them. But it's it's fascinating. Like, that, that scene is entirely, like, in a heteronormative context for Cersei. Yeah, but it, it's... Re- oh, definitely it is. Yeah. But it's actually really fascinating to view her as kind of repressed also in this f- facet. So I, yeah. I'll definitely defend her... Um, it's Danny's sexual development. Danny loses me a lot, uh, with her, her sexuality in general. I don't always feel like I know what Martin's going for. I don't okay. feel like her, her stuff with Drogo was really handled that well. Um, I, or in that it at least Well, it's up kind a- of like, it's kind of like, I call it literary Stockholm syndrome to, uh, differentiate it from like clinical Stockholm syndrome, but it's kind of just like, you know, she's, she's in a position where she has to, like her entire existence is dependent on this man, so she kind of instinctively develops these feelings for her as a way of survival, right? Yeah, but then she still has the rose-colored glasses with it. Yeah, like and years I, later. Yeah, it's not so much his fault. Like Martin is not responsible for the reader's sexism, but uh, you know the fact that it did create a space for apology with you know was was the rape and all that. And, that yeah, it's, a lot of people do unironically ship this, and I'm like, okay. yeah, that's weird. Well, because she yeah. does, but you know, she's also a 15 year old with some really fucked up conceptions of love, and yeah, yeah, and and then what, like, on the yeah. other hand, you have like uh, Nymeria, Nymeria Sand, who's just kind of her queerness is just kind of casually mentioned and not really. It's just kind of well, there as part of yeah, yeah. Well, because what I what I was trying to get at was Dan and Eerie. Yeah. Um, cause that's the, you know, quote unquote lesbianism. Again, it was kind of very heteronormative. The, like, cause for Danny, it was kind of like. Well, it was kind of like, you know, that like college lesbian experience that everybody apparently has. I don't know. I never did. But, um, just like she, she tried it out and she's like, nope, definitely straight. And just well, kind yeah, of wonder why the, that's the necessary. First, the first time was like she was rubbing one out in her sleep and then like yeah. Eerie took over for her and she's like okay this is fine and then yeah. the second time she like took Eerie to bed and she's like uh yeah. no that did she's, not scratch that itch no that, it's fine yeah. and this is maybe a little gross of me to be doing yeah because um, <laughs> and I don't know I guess the issue I have is that I don't see how that scene pays off in any way. I don't really see the necessity of that scene. Well, I, I think like what he's trying to do is he's, he's trying to get her to a place where it's okay for her to uh, have a relationship with Dario. Because she kind of has to talk I, herself into that. Yeah, I don't know that I love that he used Deary to yeah. do that. that. That's the only thing. I just, I have a bit of a discomfort with it. It's not... It is complicated. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, I certainly did not feel represented reading it, I'll tell you that. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, and then Nymeria Sand is just like, 
Doran, what the fuck's going on? I was lying in bed with these two women when I got this news. And she's just yeah. Like, Cash. Nymeria's implied lesbianism is, like, depiction done right. Yeah. Representation done right. But then that's I know, also- that's kind of what I'm trying to do with your girl in my mm-hmm. fanfic. With Jolita? Yeah. That's like not how up. I pronounce it in my head, but I'm gonna. <laughs> well, it's funny too, cause you're able to kind of really call attention to it also because you've got, I'm sorry, we're talking about her fanfiction now. Too bad. Deal with it. For anyone who doesn't know, Julia's writing fanfiction that is, uh, based around Doran Oberon and Elia's mother. It was his name we don't even know, but I just decided let's write a giant fanfic about it. <laughs> she's we're writing a giant. She's writing a, a fanfic. Yeah, about I'm kind it, of I'm doing the Dickens thing where I'm publishing it as I'm writing it, which is a new experience for me, and it's kind of terrifying, but hopefully it'll work out. Yeah, I think it's really successful. But she has a, a lesbian couple in there. It's set in Dorne, and what's yeah. what's good is that you don't write them as any different. It's just like oh, they're in bed, but then you're kind of able to still talk about queer issues. In yeah, that. because all, all of the northerners are kind of freaked out by this. Yes. So They're like people are able to talk me. about and be like, what the fuck's wrong with you? They're in love. Chill. <laughs> um, and that's like, I think there's good ways to go about it. Danny and Erie is not what you think is a good way to go about it. I just don't think it's, he needed to go about it in that way at all. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's like that, that, um, in a storm of swords, it was kind of like, it if kind it, of had this whole thing where, where, where Eerie is still, like, in the headspace where she's a slave, even though Danny is, like, telling her, like, no, you're under no obligation to do anything. And then Danny takes her to bed, though. Yeah, but, but the, it's, it's, the, it's the scene in the Dance with Dragons that kind of sticks out. Yeah. Yeah, because the first time it happens, you're like, all right. Like, this was, like, a surprise thing, and Danny was uncomfortable with it the next day. But Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it thematically tied into... It's uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't think it was meant to be 100% comfortable. Don't get no. me wrong. I just... Martin has has the same fetish for problematic relationships that I don't... I, maybe there'll be a payoff later that I don't know about. Yeah. Like maybe maybe Danny's going to fall for Ariane. Be like, well, I have experience with women, so... <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Why not? Because Ariane totally isn't... No, I'm not quite sure that Ariane is not into think... girls very much. Yeah, I think... Yeah. I... We we like to say that she, she has the uh, MMF threesomes and Tyeen has the uh, FFM threesomes. Yes. <laughs> but they never say stuff in each other's toes. We really need to do the sort of head game of that I don't know who would be willing to listen to it, but... Do you want to hear us talk about what we think the Sand Snakes threesomes look like? <laughs> oh, yeah, this is not normal. <laughs> So on that note, thank you for listening. Yeah, we still we still have lots of asks left. So um, if this and is- listen, to give you an idea, my inbox is full of twenty five hundred asks. Yeah. But if you send me one now and you're like, "Hey, for the podcast, I will pull it aside because I'm cool." Yeah. And I might just pull some of your asks aside anyway because yeah. try try as hard as we might, we do have jobs and like fandom following to write for and all that yeah and yeah so if, if this is successful we'll definitely do this again if people seem to like it so yeah if, if not we're really sorry that you just had to hear us <laughs> talk about Ariane mostly <laughs> not mostly only like 40% of the time <laughs> can we get Ariane into every ask let's find out next time yeah set us up a goal well, if you have any other episode suggestions for what we could talk about, any asks, any feedback, anything at all, drop by our Tumblr inboxes or email us at unabashedbooksnobbery at gmail.com. All one word. 
Yep. And yeah, thank you for listening. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Stop mewing. Come on, here, play with your catnip, seriously. He's like, this is why Tris was not allowed to go to the feast. <laughs> and it'd be like, go take your drugs. <laughs> go take your drugs. Here you go. We're Let's recording this, you know. <sighs> oh, we should put that on. I just our head cannons about Ariane giving Tris drugs. Yeah. <laughs>